and welcome to the May episode of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. I've got quite a bit to talk with you uh, about today. Um, the word on the street currently is infrastructure, but where is the talk about water? Most of the conversation is driven by drinking water, but we're waiting to hear more uh, on coastal resilience and water resources management along the coast. Now, Congress has been teasing these massive injections of capital, the return of earmarking in Congress, and a massive infrastructure package, and the return of, of course, a hurricane season that's only one month away. Got a lot to talk about. Plus, we have a new uh, nominee to lead the Corps of Engineers and some unsettling news from Colorado State University. Let's get started. So first, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Wanted to let everybody know the uh, the Section 7001 process has begun. If you are looking for a new federally authorized or a new federal project, this is the program you need to get involved with. Um, it's called Section 7001. There's a form to fill out. And in essence, your goal is to end up in the main appendix in the FY22 Report to Congress on New Federal Water Resources Project. If you end up in the appendix, better luck next time. Uh, we've got some of this information up on our website. Go to water, uh, www.waterlog.net on the left side. Uh, you'll see a link is up. I've got a question. Yes, sir. Why, with Congress doing earmarks, are they still doing Section 7001? That's a very good question. To and which there is no answer. <laughs> I was just going to say, nobody knows. And that's the interesting uh, you know, part, I think, of, of our profession right now is there is a lot of uncertainty going on, and it's our job to make sense of it. Yep. And this one we can't make sense of because we did ask uh, our contacts on the Hill. And we said, well, why are you still using 7001? 7, you're doing earmarks. You're doing earmarks on the transportation bill. You're doing et cetera. And they said, we don't know. We're talking about it, so right. at least they are. So now let's talk. Let's talk big picture for a moment about infrastructure. And um, I want to start with the question of what does infrastructure really mean? Um, and now infrastructure means roads, uh, water, including stormwater and drinking water, power generation, uh, transmission, telecom. Uh, but of course, infrastructure means something a little a little bit different everywhere you go. Um, so along the coast, infrastructure has to face, uh, you know, infrastructure has to deal with Mother Nature in ways that in inland communities, for example, do not. You know, each place comes with its own trade-offs. So while our coastal communities are not necessarily fighting wildfires, some, some may be, um, but they're really waging an ongoing war with the ocean. And a small increase in sea level rise can mean a very significant change uh, in storm surge and flooding levels. Plus, you know, if I really want to get into it, the details of, you know, high salt content in the water as storm, storm waters, you know, come over coastal islands, the impacts of salt also has major impacts on uh, any metal or, or concrete, uh, you know, salt water is very corrosive. So uh, as you're digging deeper into the ground, as you're putting infrastructure in there, storm water, sewers, those things can rust and corrode. Um, and eventually, you know, there's a few places in America where those systems need to be replaced. Um, so while we always talk about, you know, specifically building beaches, let's not forget about the other important coastal infrastructure issues that are truly policy related, um, such as resilience. So last week, Howard and I sent a letter to the members uh, of the leadership of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, highlighting uh, three particular issues. Yeah, and I, I'm going to turn it over to Howard to talk about those. To me, it's uh, a shame that Congress has not been Certainly, first, let's put it on the administration. The administration included ports and inland waterways 
in their outline of what they wanted to see in the infrastructure bill. So as you were talking about what does infrastructure mean? Well, to them it meant ports and inland waterways. Well, they all have their, both have their own uh, trust funds. So you have a harbor trust fund, you have an inland waterways trust fund. We don't have that on the coast. We rely solely on the largest of our local taxpayers, state taxpayers, and the federal government to be able to help us out. And we need a heck of a lot of help going into it. So one of the points uh, we made in this was not that there ought to be a huge amount of money put into coastal, because I do think there ought to be, but I'm you know, just dealing with the realities. I don't think that Congress is about to put a lot of money into coastal resilience right now. I think um, that's going to be a matter of education. I think that local governments are going to have to show that they're already doing something and they need federal help. What we did talk about were some underlying syst systemic problems. One of those was the very way that projects are authorized, one by one. And there is no national plan for water resources anywhere. No water resource project gets started unless a local mayor or a governor requests it. And then you go through a study process, and et cetera. Um, at least if you're going to be doing authorizations, there ought to be some effort made to encourage regionalization. Next, there ought to be, in the, in the whole process, there ought to be some changes in the way things are done so that you can be able to adaptively manage projects. We're dealing with a number of, everything requires a study. So uh, when you want to add dunes to a, a, a beach project, does it require a new study? The answer is, well, it was a couple of years ago. Congress provided money for uh, adding dunes to projects that didn't have them and increasing the dune height for those that needed to have them increased. And Corps headquarters, with the encouragement of OMB, said, oh, no, you can't even use that money to do that. Won't get into why they said that. It was a stupid decision. It was a bad decision. But you can't right now make changes to any project, be it coastal or inland, without going through a general reevaluation report, which is like a new start. $3 million, three years, and oh, you win the prize. You've got a new start when those are limited in the number that they are nationwide. So we talked about that. Then we talked about the new start problem in the letter. And we said, this is kind of ridiculous, really. Understand you need to put everything in. The, you need to control what you are funding, Congress, but you have to just do it with money and not necessarily with limiting the number of new starts. I think, I think the best example is the Great Lakes example, but the 729 watershed oh, management absolutely. study. Yeah, talk about it. I mean, it, there, a watershed study under law, look it up, Section 729, Corps of Engineers, Google it. It cannot result in a new Corps of Engineers project. This has been used by communities, coastal and inland for years, mostly inland actually, for having the Corps take a look at regionally what is going on and making recommendations of what the locals can do. Recommendations though, not projects, exactly. which is a very, very significant difference distinction, yes. because if there is any core interest after that then it has to go to a 
feasibility study, three years, new Which start. Which requires and, a mayor and, and oh, yes, request we, of a governor, the same process exactly. that we just explained. But lo and behold, not that long ago, the court decided that 729s were new starts. So along comes the Great Lakes. All eight of them, eight states along the Great Lakes. And they got together with the Corps, with FEMA, with EPA, with NOAA, and they decided that they wanted to have a watershed study done to deal with their flooding and erosion problems. And they put a lot of work into what they could do, what they could provide in terms of data, money, etc. And even will it was even willing to cost share the entire they, thing. Absolutely. Willing to cost share. And Along comes Corps headquarters and says, well, no, I'm sorry, you have to go into line. You have to get our approval, basically OMB approval, to be a new start. Three years in a row, language has been put into the House or Senate appropriations bills, saying which favors this bill. You can't earmark in the past, so they couldn't earmark it. They had to say into a study like this, which was going to look at regional uh, erosion and flooding problems. And three years in a row, OMB has found places to put it, which I think we've mentioned in an earlier broadcast, could not be used. The, the, la the last one could not be used. They, they nevertheless found ways to thwart the interests of eight states who are willing to cost share, whereas we have entire North Atlantic, South Atlantic, no harm done there. I'm, you know, no foul here goes, guys, but they're not cost sharing in their giant multi-million dollar studies. And yet the folks on the Great Lakes were trying to use this watershed management. There's something wrong with this. And we also pointed out in the letter that this same Transportation Infrastructure Committee leaderships that we are talking to, they're responsible for highways and other things like that. They would not trans uh, tolerate OMB micromanagement of the Federal Highway Administration, the Federal Railroad Administration, the Federal Transit Administration, that kind of micromanagement which says that every step you make, every project that has to be micromanaged, every piece of paper that goes out, micromanaged by OMB, they ought not to be tolerating it for the Corps of Engineers. You've got to free the Corps of Engineers to be able to do what they can do. Because everybody blames the Corps of Engineers, oh, we didn't get funded this year. No, write your letters to the director of OMB or the president of the United States. More likely to be read by the director of OMB and have it and blame them. This is just a very small example. It's huge in our world, but a small example of why Congress wants to bring back earmarks because it's just, it's just an example of how screwed up the process can be. Yeah, people, I just get so upset about the Great Lakes thing. You know that. Because it's no longer we're no longer involved at all in it, but the fact of the matter is that the eight states were willing to cost share and put their time and effort into biweekly meetings that went on for a long period of time and working out what they wanted out of this thing, and it got blocked by the administration. And it doesn't make any difference which administration it is; it's the same career officials at the. Uh, uh, OMB folks. So that's what we were talking about. You you have to also be able to provide communities with assistance. Uh, we did ask for this type of coastal resilience assistance. Two things. One, take something like planning assistance to states. Program we talk about all the time. 
very useful for technical assistance for states or localities, nonprofits as well. And Universities. Could very well be educational institutions under a change that was made in a recent word. And wall off some of that for coastal resilience. They've done it for inland flooding. Why not take some of that and assign? It's, it's well-funded. It's well-funded. It could always use more, but it's got $5 million or $10 million. It's got nine, $9 million this nine, year, yeah. Okay. That's good money compared to where we used to be groveling for 500000 It's been in- increased significantly over the past few years. Just say some of that. All you got to do in the infrastructure bill, it costs you nothing, Congress. Wall off some of that for coastal resilience, and you will find local communities coming, running, looking for that kind of help. So those are the things that we were talking about. Now back to infrastructure, if we were off of it at all, I guess. The Senate has decided that it, too, is going to do earmarks. This has been a big discussion. We didn't, you know, the House, the House brought back earmarks, but the House has to conference with the Senate, and when you have, you know, two oh. disagreeing chambers, well, yeah, not one just, has one set of rules. Exactly. One has another. You, you, disagreeing chambers is e- easy. When you're operating under a different set of rules, one earmarking, the other not earmarking, that was going to be a foobar of great. Uh, so re- some Republicans may still be against it, but since uh, since it's controlled by de- uh, Democrats, both parties, or uh, I'm not not parties, uh, both chambers will be bringing back earmarks. Yeah. So. Yeah, basically uh, what the Republican conference said in the Senate is that they are not going to remove their policy against earmarks, but they were not going to say no that Republicans could not ask for earmarks, which means that they will ask for earmarks. So if you have an earmark uh, request, many uh, offices right now are asking for earmarks, so contact your Senate office, uh, your two senators, and contact your representative as well. A lot of commotion going on on Capitol Hill about infrastructure, um, just huge spending. Do we expect it to be broken up into smaller packages, Howard? How, or is it going to come across as one massive $1.9 trillion package? Well, I think, first of all, there's really uh, a lot of reason to break it up, not necessarily into small pieces, but into a few pieces. The total package the administration offered is both infrastructure and it is support. This is no longer just building roads. Uh, it, it is now providing help for uh, child care. It is providing help for uh, pre-kindergarten education and the like. What we found during the pandemic is a lot of families were stuck at home trying to educate their kids. Well, without pandemic, you still have to deal with the fact that if you have kids, you need to have childcare when they're young before they're eligible to get into kindergarten or if there's a pre-K program in your area to get into that. So what can we do to provide more money for childcare, particularly boosting childcare workers' pay so it's more attractive as a profession? So there's a separate package dealing with that, making community college education uh, free, uh, which goes a little way to the Sanders proposal, probably of making everything free. But having said that, again, trying to provide more opportunity, because what you're dealing here uh, politically is a lot of people in the middle class feeling that their opportunities are closed off or no longer what they thought they would be. 
And that's why you've had a lot of discussions in the country about political um, upheaval and you know, a lot of political scientists coming up with things. But the bottom line is, the truth is that things are different now than they were in post-World War II U.S. Uh, and the things that I grew up with in feeling that there, I was going to do better than my parents and their feeling that they were that I was going to do better than them. Um, that's not there for a lot of people. A lot of people are just worried about their own job, let alone, and certainly worried about their kids as well. So there is a separate package on that as well. I think that the administration is going to be trying to find common ground with Republicans on some aspects of the, Repu uh, of the infrastructure bill, at least what I'll call the hard parts. I mean, the surface transportation parts, those things in terms of things that I think they can find agreement on and breaking that off and getting Republican votes on that. It'd be great if they did that. I think one of the largest areas of disagreement is going to be how to pay for it. Yes. Uh, the administration wants to raise both corporate taxes and taxes on the 1%, the, the highest, uh, the most wealthy people. And we have people who are always crying about that. I, nobody, I do not want my taxes raised. There's nobody who will raise their hand and say they want their tax taxes raised. Again, I looked at some data before our podcast, and we are historically low compared to us, not comparing us to anybody else in the world, comparing us to us in terms of our corporate tax rate, in terms of our highest individual tax rates, compared to the 1960s and 70s. Then by the time we get to the 1980s, we saw things drop and consistently drop. And everybody got you know, props, political props for, uh, for dropping. So I don't know what um, the president's going to be able to convince Congress to do, but they're going to have to come up with pay-fors for this thing. Uh, at least a large part of it is not going to come from the increasing the deficit. So that, that's my prediction, at least. Well, one huge thing we see is these massive supplemental bills, which I believe one, one might be in the works, but uh, that's going to give me a pretty good segue into you know the, new, the Atlantic hurricane season coming up because Colorado State has increased uh, again what their prediction is, and the, the new average hurricane season will now produce 14 named storms, seven hurricanes, and three major hurricanes. Um, excuse me, that's the average hurricane season. Uh, I was reading that backwards. For 2021, uh, the team is now calling for 17 named tropical cyclone formations, including eight hurricanes and four striking major hurricanes. So, and yeah. just, just one storm makes a huge difference. So adding one or two to each category yeah, really you, ups the chances. You were just talking about, you know, maybe another supplemental. Certainly for last year's storms, we've mentioned this past in the last podcast as well, we have not helped those communities with additional assistance, with the, which really requires a supplemental disaster uh, bill. Uh, there were both inland and coastal communities that were suffering last year, including wildfires. We have to add that also, which are very devastating uh, as well. This year, we may get more. So, and we know that FEMA was supposed to run out of money yeah. uh, in the next next three months from now. I believe yeah. September 30th, and it could be wiped dry by now. It's possible. Um, we have not seen a more up-to-date report, but it was reported to be running out of money now. And if that's the case, then there's they're going to need a supplemental appropriation bill from Congress. 
Uh, supplementals usually are paid for by uh, going more into debt. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. On the other hand, the federal government has an ability to sell bonds and, uh, and get that money, uh, which local and state governments do not have. So when you got to, you got to. Those money printers are going brrrr. You can hear it going now. <laughs> Uh, one more thing before we sign off. New ASA Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works nominee Michael Connor. Uh, he's the nominee to lead the Corps of Engineers, the administration position, and he brings with him a considerable amount of experience and understanding of water resources and coastal environments. Um, previously, during the Obama administration, Connor was Interior's Deputy Secretary and before that, Commissioner of the Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, he was floated as a potential Interior Secretary pick for Biden as well. Uh, that post went to Deb Hound. Yeah, I think we uh, welcome uh, Mr. Connors and looking forward to his hearings, which have not yet been scheduled, and his confirmation and uh, having him in place there because uh, we had a great one in the last administration. We're looking for an even greater one now. Someone else is going to move dirt, right, Howard? <laughs> yes, move dirt. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys back in June. Take, Take care. care now. Bye-bye. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded.